Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning, church family. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor on the teaching team here at the Door Church. Super glad that you're here uh, with us this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, we'll be in Luke 16, 19 through uh, 31. Uh, Luke 16, 19 through 31 will be this morning. So we're starting a new sermon series, Counterculture. I think it's a fantastic slide uh, made by Garrett Chastain. Uh, it really shows an upside down world. Uh, and that's really the heart uh, behind the series is by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that, that the worldview that we have would be one of a biblical lens. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at different issues and not, not according to what pop culture, popular culture is saying, but what does the Bible say uh, about these issues? Because we want to be people of wisdom informed by the word of God and winsome people. So wisdom and winsome in our interactions. And so here's some of the topics we'll be talking about, uh, which is it's a, everyone else is talking about. So why don't we talk about it here at church? Uh, is, is money. We'll be talking about money, pro-life, race, sex, word and deed. So justice, biblical justice, uh, really the who's really a new king in Christ and then rest. And so those are several issues, and some people are like, why are you going to talk about that? Because the Bible talks about it, and where God speaks, we want to speak. Uh, I know some of you right now kind of cringe when I, if I said money, pro-life, race, justice, like, I don't want to hear that. And good, this series is for you. Um, and, and the reason why is we cringe. We, we feel strongly one way or the other, and some, some people are like, yeah, we need to talk about this. You, you tell them, Scott, and it's like all truth. Well, you, you need it as serious because that's not the goal here. <laughs> and some of you are like, don't, don't do that, right? We just need to be loving. You need to hear this series because the goal is not one or the other. It's truth in love. We're Jesus people, right? And so that's different. Jesus ties truth and love together. We don't be all truth or all, all love. That's not biblical. We want to be Bible people with a biblical lens. We want to view the world through the word of God. Now, why is that important? If you're a Christian, that means you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to Jesus, and we belong to one another as a church family. We're the, the bride of Christ. The church is the ambassador of Jesus Christ. So you, you're an ambassador of Jesus. So your worldview in wisdom under the word and your winsomeness reflects who? Jesus. People should look at you and what you say and how you act and who you're repping. You're repping Christ, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important. As the church operates under the word in wisdom and winsomeness, we can display what it looks like when Christ returns. We're an outpost to say, this is what it looks like when Jesus Christ is the king. His kingdom of God, so to speak, played out in our personal lives, but as a corporate family. So the kingdom of God, I just want to talk about this or define this, is the effective will of God. The effective will of God extended into our personal life, into our community, and out from there. So that's how we're outposts. So we want the word of God to be 
his will to be our will. That's why all the time you'll hear me say, I don't really care about your opinion. I, re- I'm, and I'm, I sincerely mean that. And you sin- sincerely mean you don't care about my opinion. Why? Because it's not my will or your will. We want Jesus's will to be done. And so we want that effective will to cross you. That means everything we're going to talk about in this series, you will not agree with. And that's good news. Know why? Because it's not your will be done. It's Jesus will be done. And you got to allow that to, to form your mind and your heart and your life. And so we can't put Jesus in a box. We won't. He's the king. He informs who we are, and we want to surrender to his will. I read this quote this week, and I thought it was good. Jared Wilson said, if your commitment to a church is contingent on all your preferences, it's not God you go there to worship, but yourself. So if you don't allow the word of God to cross you at some points, you just want to be your own God. And he couldn't be more right. And that's for me too. As I read the word of God, it, it, it humbles me, it confronts me, it corrects me, but that's a gracious thing. Why? Because I'm not the king and neither are you. It will offend you, but the word of God is true. It is loving. So the, the outcome, the outcome of this series is this, that we would, that we would surrender more to Jesus Christ as king. So my goal for this series for myself is that I would live in repentance. That has somehow become a bad word in the church. It is a good thing to repent. That's turning from myself to Jesus, right? I hope repentance for you, that you would turn from more of yourself unto Jesus. That is a gracious thing. And so the hope is that you would personally allow the word of God to engage you. Let the word of God engage you individually because as individually, you allow the word of God to change you and transform you by God's grace. It can change our church family and it changes our church family. We could be the outpost to what it looks like when Jesus is king, which the world desperately needs to see. Jesus said himself, man, you're gonna be a city, son of the hill that can't be ignored. We should live counter-culturally to the world and say, this is different. That's what we're called into. That's only going to work if you allow the Holy Spirit to work on you. Not not your spouse, not your kids, not your neighbor. Who's God working on this morning? You, right? That's what I need to hear myself. The counter wisdom of God is totally different than what we think. (laughs) It says in scripture, there's a way that seems right to man that what leads to death. Like that's what we choose. The wisdom of God doesn't seem right to us at first glance, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and scripture, it says what? The first will be last, right? But the last will be first. That's counterintuitive, but that's what the Bible says. We want to humble ourselves. It says, man, we want to, uh, we want to be last in understanding that there's, there's wisdom that it's better to give than to receive. No one in the world tells you that, but the Bible tells you that. That's counterculture. That's upside down world. It's an upside down worldview. It's better Uh, to serve than be served. Again, these are all biblical worldviews that we should want to live differently. It's upside down, not what the world says, but what the Bible says, and we want to come under that. So the subject this morning, the issue that we'll talk about counterculture is money, which I know is everyone's favorite topic, right? Now, what's interesting about this sermon series uh, or this, this sermon and money, at first glance, has everything to do with money, but at the same time actually has almost nothing to do with money. And as we look at the text, you'll, you'll see what I mean. So uh, counterculture, money. So the thesis statement, the capital T truth 
The capital T truth that uh, really states money that I think we're going to have to grow in the process is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When it says no, that, that means you have a knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, and, and so know, knowing is this knowledge, but also this experience that you've experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it then goes on to define what that grace is. That though he was rich, Jesus being rich. So in this, uh, in this, in this, um, in this verse, it's talking about Jesus is not lacking anything, that he is sufficient in himself, that he is whole, that he, that he has. So he is rich, yet for our sake, not his sake, but for our sake, he became poor so that, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So his impoverishment, his loss, his giving is the reason why we can be what? Spiritually rich. So this has everything to do with our finances. We understand the value of Jesus Christ. There's a direct link from the value of Christ to money. And that's what we're going to look at more this morning. So that's the thesis statement that Jesus is sufficient, that he is rich, but in his poverty, we might what become rich. The, the counterverse to this is that how we receive the riches of Christ that in his impoverishment, we got to recognize our need. And Matthew 5, 3 says this, Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how do we get the riches of Christ that, that he gives by becoming impoverished? We got to recognize our, our poverty in spirit. So it's actually not talking about our bank account. It's talking about our neediness in our spiritual life. So most of us don't view ourselves that way. Poor in spirit means you're, you're bankrupt spiritually. So if you file bankruptcy, you know what that means? You don't got nothing. You don't got anything, right? File bankruptcy. So this is where you're at spiritually, that we are bankrupt, that we're, we're, we're needy. We need help. So the only way that you're going to grab on to the riches of Jesus Christ, be a recipient of the grace, is understand your impoverishment, your poverty. They're directly linked. But if you don't understand that you're impoverished, you're never going to grab on to Christ. All right? So that's capital T truth, the thesis statement. Now let's do a case study to see what that looks like. And I'm going to read uh, a parable from Luke 16. It says this in verse 19, the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at, uh, at this gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, Covered, uh, covered with, uh, with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in the flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in, his, uh, in, in like manner, bad things. But now he, comforted, uh, now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and your great, uh, 
us and you as a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So that's the word of God. So this has everything to do with money. And again, everything not to do with money. It's tied in all at the same time. So this, this, this case study, this parable is, is a story that Jesus uh, is, is, is telling. And now in this parable, it tells us there is a rich man and there's Lazarus. And and this story tells us, man, how, how their life went in, in, this, in this time right now and then into uh, eternity. Now, in the story, it's also a compare and contrast. So let's, I want us to lay that out real fast, and we're going to talk about it. So in this world, like the life we're living right now, uh, me and you are living a life, and then it will carry on into eternity after you die. So the rich man in the, in the world right now, he is rich. That's what it says. He has money. He is clothed in purple and fine linen. That means he has, you know, a check mark by his Twitter or whatever, you know, famous people have. He has a lot of status, clothed in purple. That's a kind of a royalty. He feasted every day. That means good food. I put scrumptious down. It's actually sumptuous. I don't know. A lot of food. Not, 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 not hungry. Lazarus, on the other hand, is poor. That means he doesn't have money. He's without. He's hungry. He's actually waiting for the scraps of the rich man to fall because there's some type of relationship. They know each other. And he's waiting for some food because he's, he's without. He doesn't have. He is lacking. Instead of being covered in, in, in purple and fine linen, he's covered in sores. Now, this is the life that they're living. Rich man, Lazarus. Then they both die. And their eternity is then carried on forever, uh, depending on how their life went right now. So the rich man endures Hades, which is hell. Now, I don't want to minimize this truth. He chose in this life his destination, which is hell forever. Um, and we will not minimize this. because And if you do, you won't see I mean, the truth of eternity. And the Bible speaks it, but too, you won't, understand the, that you won't understand the depths of God's love without hell. And I'll get to more of that here in a second. But in, the rich man died and he went to hell. It was an awful place. Torment anguish of flame, now, it, literal or not. So I believe, I mean, someone came up to me after the first guy, I was like, do you believe it's literal fire? I do. But even if it's not, say I'm wrong, it's still not a place you want to be, right? Torment, anguish, fire, he's thirsty, not a good place. Hell forever. Lazarus, he dies. Angels carry him to heaven by Abraham's side. That means that he's a true son of Abraham because Abraham was of the promised seed, of the promises of Jesus Christ. So Lazarus was, was known for his hope in Christ and now he's in heaven. Now, verse 25 lays out this great reversal from what's happening in this life into eternity. It says, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime receive your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted 
uh, comforted here and you are in anguish. And he's just telling him there's a great reversal. The, the, the Lazarus had nothing, but in the life to come, he was comforted and had everything. The, the, the rich man had everything, but the next light was in torment. Now, verse 26 says this, and besides all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed. It says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once and then, then comes judgment. So it matters what you believe in right now and what you do, and it will carry on for eternity. It's appointed for man to die once and then there will be judgment on what you believed and how you lived. And now this is the great reversal. So at face value, most people read this like, well, the rich people, they go to hell. Poor people, they go to heaven. That's not, what I, that's not what I believe, but that's how most people would read this. Now, what is it teaching about really having riches or, or poverty uh, determining our des destination? It's telling us a lot about money, but it's really about what our hope is in. So he here's why. It's interesting in this parable, of any of the parables that Jesus spoke of, it's usually, hey, there was a king, there were servants, there's parables, but there's never a name. But in this parable, there's a name and it's noteworthy. So the rich man doesn't have a name and the poor man's name is named Lazarus. This is important because Lazarus' name, it means that God has been and is my help. Lazarus' name means God is my help versus the rich, rich man. He is named in this. We don't know it, but he's named by his possessions. He says he's rich. He's named by his status his clothes, and his feasting. It identifies who he is, but he doesn't have a name of hoping in Christ. So this is good. So it, doesn't, it shows that it's not that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. What is it saying? It depends on where your hope is. Lazarus' hope is God is my help. He is my strength. The rich man, his hope is in his wealth. It has everything to do about what is your help? What is your hope? What is your righteousness? Where's your faith? Is it in the promises of Christ or the promises of this world? See, a lot of us are identified by our rightness. And hear me, what you choose to be your identity, your righteousness, your rightness will carry on for eternity. You choose your identity but it will carry on forever. See, the rich man's identity is he wants to be known for his possessions. This is his name. This is his value. It's his clothes, his wealth, his feasting. It what makes him who he is. So in this world, this temporal life, he has everything, but he actually has nothing. He truly doesn't know who he is. He has chosen his identity apart from God that will carry over forever what leads him into hell. He See, what's interesting about this, Lazarus, even in hell, as he chooses, he doesn't want out, which is interesting. First take, you think, well, if, if I was there, I'm thinking, like, I'd be like, hey, Father Abraham, get me out of here. That's not what he says. What does he do? He says, man, he calls out to, to Abraham, send Lazarus down in, in mercy and in this kindness to serve him. And so he still thinks this world's about him. He wants... Lazarus, who's now in heaven, to come down and give him something to drink. He still thinks it's about him. He's the center of his own world. He didn't ask, get me out of here. He still thinks the world revolves around him because his identity is himself and his status. He stills Lazarus below him. 
And he, he still expects, he expects to be served. So now I'm going to point the question on you. Who are you? Who are you? What do you value? What's your identity? Where's your help? Where's your strength? I just thought about as I was looking at this, I mean, social media tells us so much about who we are these days. Social media is a nightmare. Some, of, some people just should not put their opinions out, but that's just, it is what it is. It's out there. Go read, go read your, your, your definition. I know on Twitter, you get to like have a, a like once in its definition. Who do you say that you are? You define yourself. Some people will say, well, I'm an artist. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a husband. I'm a spouse. You know, all kinds of different things. Uh, influencer. You, you, you're defining yourself. Are you showing where your hope is in Christ? Go look at your stories. What are you promoting about your life? You're defining yourself, right? Your story is going to carry on. The question is, what story, what hope are you putting out there? You're doing it yourself. You're choosing right now. What is your life? Is it your life in Christ or is your life found in this world? Is your rightness found in these, in these things? I mean, what's so interesting about um, social media, it's all virtue signaling, whatever you think is virtuous, right? Some people are like, hey, we got to get shots. And so you put on like, I got a shot. I'm doing my part. And other people are like, I hate shots. You let everyone know. All you're doing, and I'm not, hey, this is not a statement. You do what you want. All you do is virtue signaling. This is where I find rightness. It's not found in Christ. And it's interesting because you want to be known for this. Now, just like the rich man, whatever you idolize, he idolizes money, he idolizes his status, you demonize the other. So why is he yelling at Lazarus to bring water? Because he thinks he's lesser than him still. So he's demonizing, that guy's lesser, have him bring me water. So it's important if you're not gripped by grace, which is secure in Christ, you will not treat other people well. So the question is, how do you treat other people? It'll actually show you your identity. So I'll just run through a list and again, make everyone mad. Uh, I could imagine, I could imagine the rich man looking at Lazarus like, if the guy would just get a job, I would give him some, some food off my table. He just has such, he probably has such a low view of the poor. He's like, if he had just helped himself, then maybe I would help him, right? But he, he had no generosity towards him. Why? Because he idolized his, his, his money. I have a question for you. How do you view the poor? Do you look down upon them? Do you scorn them? Right? This is not political statements. How do you, how do you view them? I mean, they just help themselves. They'd be all right, right? It's just showing your idolatry of self. How do you treat people with different religions? Man, I'm pro-Jesus. I'll preach Jesus to the day I die. If you sit next to me, I'll talk about Jesus. Like, I want you to believe in Jesus. But how do you view people of other religions? Do you treat them with dignity, value? They're people made in the image of God. And we need to love them and speak truth to them, not condemn them and marginalize them. How do you treat people of different political views? Listen. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is not pro-Republican or Democrat. Jesus is a different category. Who are you defined by? And then go look who you marginalize. Are you secure in Christ? Again, how do you treat people that have different morality compass than you? Listen, I think we should be some of the most upright moral people in the world. Now why? Because the scripture calls us to be. But your morality ain't going to save you. 
Only Jesus saves you. So how do you view people that sin differently than you? See, one is work-based religion. One is gripped by grace. You see the value of Christ. See, this text shows you the rich man chooses his destiny because he chooses to hope in his stuff. And Lazarus chooses to hope in God, that God is my help, that God is, my, is enough. Now, the question is, what's the solution? This is a scary topic. And I mean, I mean, I, you talk, start talking about hell. I mean, I get sweaty myself. My, my palms get sweaty. I don't want to be there. I mean, it's just, so the question is, how do we not go to hell, right? That's a good question. Uh, or how do you hope in Christ? So verse 27, 31 is amazingly beautiful and helpful, and we need to understand it. It says, and he said, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, what's so interesting, I'm going to point out several things in this last part. The rich man is still not taking responsibility for his choices. He's still, I mean, in this text, he's blaming God for where he's at. He's like, if you will just send someone from the dead to my five brothers and warn them so they don't end up like me, you know, what is he doing? He's like, God, you didn't tell me enough. If you would just so would have warned me, then I wouldn't be here. Please do something for my brothers. And it was so interesting. Jesus says, no, no, that wouldn't work. Even if someone rise from the dead, and what does he point them to? This is the solution. Go read the prophets and Moses. Because if they won't be convinced by that, they will not be convinced even if someone rose from the dead. Now, this is interesting to me because I think many of us here would think, man, Hellfire and brimstone just scare people to Jesus. That doesn't work. If you see even enough miracles, that's not going to change your heart. I'm, I'm not trying to shock jock you, and neither will Jesus. He's not going to scare you straight, right? See, Jesus says something that we need to hear. Even if someone rises from the dead, it won't be enough. Now, I'm, I'm going to take this a little bit further, and it, I, I know it's true. Even if you saw Jesus rise from the dead himself, without understanding the why, it wouldn't be enough to save you. Now, that, that's interesting. Why is that true? Because in, until you understand why Jesus died on the cross, why he rose from the dead, even if you saw something miraculous, Jesus died and rose, like, oh, that's really cool, you wouldn't understand why he did it. He came to die in your stead. He came to bring you that strong help. And he points us to that truth. How? Go read the prophets and Moses. So if you don't know your Bible, we need to be people of the Bible, not culture, but of the Bible. Go read the law and the Moses. You know what it tells us? It tells us the law. So we always preach the law gospel here. It tells us that we need Jesus. So the law, why was it given? It shows us the glory of God, the beauty of God, the character of God. We, he is perfect, holy, righteous, and as you read the word of God, you shouldn't be like, and so am I. When you start to read, as you read the law, as he's righteous and holy and beautiful, you know, you start to realize, oh no, I am not. I am not righteous. I am not holy. And what does that bring you to? 
I need a savior. It starts to help you understand the why. Jesus came to die for you. Until you understand why Jesus came, you do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Even if you believe he's a real person, even if you believe for him he rose from the dead, you gotta understand why he did it. You gotta understand the value of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read you Isaiah 53, uh, verse five. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. So what does that mean? Jesus was pierced for what? My transgressions and yours, for my law breaking. It didn't say Jesus came and, and, and he's gonna be pierced for all the oppression in the world. They didn't say that Jesus is gonna be pierced for all the bad things and brokenness in the world. Although he's gonna fix that one day. Why was he pierced? For your law breaking, for my law breaking. And do you make it personal? You don't understand it. It goes on to say that, that he was crushed for our iniquities. Why was Jesus crushed? For, for our skewed heart. You know what iniquities, it means that you have a crooked, a crookedness to you. I have a crookedness to me. You know why the world's broken? Because you are. I am. You know why oppression exists in the world? Because I'm an oppressor. And so are you, according to scripture. Until you understand that he was crushed for your iniquities, that he dealt with your sin, there'll be no change in you and there'll be no change in our church. It says upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It was the punishment of Christ is why we can have the peace of God. That's what that means. He was punished. Why? Because our rebellion and it's by his wounds we are healed. That's the gospel. Now, Romans 3, 20 through 25, you can go read that later. I'm gonna read it very fast. It says this. This is a linear argument of what I just said. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. I don't care how much virtue signal you think you have, it's not gonna be enough. No one's saved apart from Christ. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Why was the law given? What did I just say? To help you understand what your neediness. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That means you don't, you're not righteous. Jesus is, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a payment. Man, we deserve the wrath of God. He's put forward uh, as a propitiation by the blood to be received by faith. This is what the word of God says. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Go read that at home. It lays out law gospel. Why was the law given? To show you that you stood condemned and Jesus Christ took your condemnation on the cross of Christ and he gives you a righteousness that you could never earn on your own. In Matthew 27, verse 46, you know, Jesus hung on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why am I experiencing hell itself? You know what he didn't say? My God, my God, these nails, hurt, these nails hurt really, really bad. He didn't say, my God, my God, I'm having trouble breathing. What does he say? Say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that is what saves you. Until you understand that Jesus took on the wrath of God, you don't have saving faith because Jesus did it for you. That is divine love. That's why I say you have to understand hell, to understand what Jesus experienced, and he did it willingly for you. 
His life for your life. He experienced so you would never have to. That's value. You want to know who you are? You're loved by a king who's willingly died for you. Until you get that, you'll look to this world for your value. Man, I shared the gospel. I was, I was studying this text, and I had Deacon, who's my youngest, who's seven, and Joshua with me. We're talking about hell and fire and separation, and Deacon's like, Covenant is like, can we just please stop talking about hell? This sounds like a horrible place. And then we talked about Jesus taking hell for us, and it was such a sweet moment. When Joshua looked at me, he goes, hold on. Jesus took hell for me? He, he, he did that so I wouldn't have to take that? It's like for a moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a light bulb went on of the love of God that has for him. Who would do such a thing for me? Until you get that, you will never know your value and your identity. You'll still look to this world for your security. You won't know who you are. See, money, listen, money's really not the issue. It's not. You can be rich on your way to hell because you're hoping in your riches. You can be poor Hoping in riches on your way to hell. You could be middle class, not content, wanting more on your way to hell. What brings you saving faith is understanding your value in Jesus Christ. See, a conservative biblical doctrine leads to a generous person. Until you understand your security is not found in money, but Jesus. That Jesus is your protection. Jesus is your provision. Jesus is the promise that you, not your money, you will never be a generous person. You just can't. You won't be. See, but as you see your value in Jesus Christ, you know what happens? You start to be generous. You want to know if you understand the value of Christ? Go look how much you give. And this is not a, this is not a tithing sermon. We're, we're doing great. Then I'm not like, I mean, people are generous. Go look personally at your own heart. It shows you your value. How do you give to the church? How do you give to the poor? How do you give? It will show you, do you understand the generosities of Jesus Christ? Until you do, you can say what you want. Money is your protection, your provision, or promise. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It's what your security is. See, Jesus died in your stead. So you know you're loved and know you're forgiven and know your value. You can live differently in the world. We can be a generous person and secure in Christ. Let's pray. God, help us respond in faith. Help us see the generosity of Christ, that Jesus on that cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he willingly stayed out of love for us so we'd be forgiven, known, loved, and know who we are. Man, we're a, a people that don't know who we are. Help us be marked by the love of Jesus Christ. And so doing, we can be a generous people to show the value of Christ. God, help us look different than the world. Help us be so secure in our protection, our provision, the promise of Christ that we could be generous and kind and humble, but only comes from a deep knowledge of your saving grace. Help us know the why. Help us repent, which is so good not trusting in my own thoughts, my own opinions, my own culture, but looking to scripture and saying, this is true. I pray someone would even say, God, help my unbelief. God, I pray you pour out your spirit more and more in our, our lives this morning as we testify to this truth and song. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.